You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon we're considering the articles of the Apostles' Creed to do with the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And in connection with that, we have a scripture reading from the 11th chapter of John. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Martha in the house comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved 
in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So now turn in our books of praise to Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ, my head, but also this, my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall, after this life, possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, have you ever wondered what unbelievers do about death? What really goes through the mind of an unbeliever when they encounter the death of a loved one? A husband or a wife? A brother or sister? How do they process it? How do they cope with it? Well, as far as I can tell, the American writer Joan Didion is an unbeliever, and she wrote a book about this. The Year of Magical Thinking is about the sudden death of her husband John and how she wrestled with it in the year following. John had been a writer too, and two nights before he died, he asked Joan, if she knew how many characters had died in his most recent novel. Months after his death, she found the list, a list of 12 characters written in very faint pencil on a legal pad. And later, as she considered the deaths of some close friends in real life, she wrote the following. Each of them had been in the last instant alive and then dead. I realized that I had never believed in the words I had learned as a child in order to be confirmed as an Episcopalian. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I did not believe in the resurrection of the body. Nor had Teresa Keene, and 
What follows here is the list of the dead from her husband's book. Teresa Keene, Parlance, Emmett McClure, Jack Broderick, Maurice Dodd, the four people in the car, Charlie Buckles, Percy Darrow, or Walden McClure. Nor had my Catholic husband. I imagined this way of thinking, she says, to be clarifying. But in point of fact, it was so muddled as to contradict even itself. I did not believe in the resurrection of the body, but I still believed that given the right circumstances, he would come back. He who left the faint traces before he died. The number three pencil. Joan Didion says that she denied what we confess in the Apostles' Creed, but yet somehow she hopes that death is not final. That it's not the end. Period. There's confusion here. And uncertainty. There's lack of clarity and contradiction. We can contrast that with what we confess from the Scriptures in the Heidelberg Catechism. Here, we have clarity. We have certainty. We have comfort. When we are faced with the death of a believing loved one, and also when we are faced with our own death, we can confidently say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15:55, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can look death in the face with clarity, certainty, and comfort. Why? Because we know Jesus Christ. Our resurrection and our life. That's our theme this afternoon as I preach God's Word to you. In the first question and answer of this Lord's Day, we're reminded that it is by the power of Christ that the resurrection of the body will become a reality. And this is exactly in line with what Scripture teaches us in passages like John 11. When the Lord Jesus has His conversation with Martha, He reassures her in verse 23 that her brother will rise again from the dead. And Martha's thoughts intuitively go to the resurrection of the body at the last day, and that's reflected in how she responds to Jesus. Knowing the relevant Old Testament passages like Psalm 16, which we just sang, she said, I know He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then we find those powerful words in Jesus' reply, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice how He puts this. He says that He is the resurrection. Martha has her knowledge of the Old Testament and her belief that the dead will be raised at the last day. But Jesus says that all of those passages, all of those truths, they point to Him. He is the one in whom the resurrection will become a reality. He is the one who raises Lazarus from the dead, showing in a preliminary way that He has power over death. He is the one who Himself rises on the third day, definitively illustrating that death does not have the final say over Him. Rather, He's the one who has power and the victory over sin and the victory over death. 
He rises from the third, uh, from the dead on the third day and reveals himself as the resurrection. And through faith, we share in his resurrection. Lazarus came back from the dead, but he only came back for a time. Lazarus eventually died. He's not with us anymore. He died again and he was buried. And he did not rise again. But look at what happened with Christ. And you get a picture of what will happen with all who believe in Christ. All who are united to Him through faith and through the Holy Spirit. Christ died and was buried on the third day. He rose again. He rose again. Never to die again. The blood that flows through His glorified body at this very moment will never cease to flow. The heart that pumps His blood will never stop pumping. The lungs that expand and contract with His every breath at God's right hand will never stop expanding and contracting. The electrical nerve signals that flow through His body will do so unto eternity. And all of these things will be true of us. It will be true of us too. When our flesh is reunited with our souls and made to be like His glorious body, we die once and then we will rise again, never to die again. Loved ones, brothers and sisters, we can be confident of this Because the Lord Jesus promises it. He promises us that as we rest and trust in Him, we can know that He is our resurrection. That whoever believes in Him will live even though He dies. That means that we do die. But only once. And then Jesus adds that whoever lives and believes in Him will never die. In other words, such a person will never experience the second death. Believing this, we can have confidence. And we can also have comfort. We know that there is nothing to fear from death. Because death for believers is not the end. In fact, with Christ and His death and His resurrection, we see the death of death. Let me draw out a couple more important points about the resurrection of the body. First of all, let's be clear that this resurrection is a resurrection of the body. The body is a material thing. Body is something you can see, something you can touch. And this is underlined by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says that Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection. When Christ rose from the dead, did he have, did he still have a real human body that his disciples could see and that they could touch? Well, you remember the story of Thomas the doubter in John 20. John 20, 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Christ's resurrection body was a body that could be seen and touched. 
And if He is the first fruits, we would expect everything to follow to be in the same line. Furthermore, from Romans 8.23 and Romans 8.11, we learn that Christ's redeeming work includes the body, the physical human body. And in 1 Corinthians 15.42-44, it is the body that is laid in the grave that is later raised. It is the same body, but now perfected and glorified. Raised imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. In the resurrection, everything about us will be healed and restored as it was created to be. Towards the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Sam believed his friend Gandalf to be dead. And when he learned that he was not, he cried out, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? In the resurrection of Christ, in the resurrection of the body, we have the answer to that question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Everything sad about us is going to come untrue. And even more amazingly, somehow it will be even greater for having once been broken having once been lost. This too is part of the comfort of knowing Jesus Christ to be our resurrection. We we should also reflect briefly on the time of the resurrection of the body, when this takes place. Very briefly, the Bible tells us that it will take place when Christ returns. And when that will be, only God the Father knows. When Christ returns, the dead will be raised, and then comes the final judgment. When Christ returns, the dead will be raised. And the Bible is clear that all the dead will be raised, both believers and unbelievers. The souls and bodies of both believers and unbelievers will be reunited. And we know that from passages like John 5, 28 and 29, where Jesus says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. That's John 5, 28 and 29. And similarly, Paul says in Acts 24, 15, I have hope in God that there will be a resurrection of the dead both of the just and of the unjust. Acts 24.15 So, there is a resurrection of those who have been justified by faith in Christ and a resurrection of the wicked, those who are still in their sins, those who died in their sins. Now, the difference between these two, who both rise from the dead, is their destination after the resurrection. Jesus says that the just will rise to live. In John 10.10, He said that He came so that we who believe in Him may have life and have it to the full. And the Catechism paraphrases 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9, describing an undescribably wonderful, perfect blessedness. The difference... Between these two is life. 
The difference is that those who are resting and trusting in Christ's perfect righteousness will have abundant life. And they will have abundant comfort to endless days, to eternity. And that gives us perspective. That gives us the big picture. As we continue on our pilgrimage through this world where there's so much brokenness, there's so much dysfunction, we are on our way to a better land, to the promised land where there is perfect blessedness, a perfect blessedness we don't find here. And we can be sure of this comfort because just as he said to Martha, Jesus is not only our resurrection, he is also our life. That means at least two things. First of all, Jesus Christ is the source of the life everlasting. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Familiar words, right? John 14, verse 6. Believing in Jesus Christ, we can come to the Father. We have access. We have relationship, a relationship of blessing and friendship, a family relationship. It is through Christ alone, because of Christ alone, that we have the life everlasting. And we're going to look at this more closely next week when we deal with Lord's Day 23 and what the Bible teaches about our justification. That Jesus is our life also means that He is the one who publicly announces our eternal life at the last day. From Scripture, passages like Matthew 25, we know that Jesus Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. At the last day, he says in Matthew 25, he will separate, he will make a division between the sheep, or rather the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on his left hand. And to the goats, he will say, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and all his angels. But to the sheep, to all believers, he will announce publicly for the whole world to hear, And we'll hear these comforting words from His lips. Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. What will happen after that? Well, the Lord Jesus says that the goats, the unbelievers, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Well, let's now consider that eternal life a bit more carefully. First of all, we have to be clear that when we die, what happens? When we die, immediately our souls are taken up to Christ, taken up to God's presence. You want proof of that? Think of the thief on the cross who repented and believed. Jesus says to him in Luke 23, 43, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. In Acts 7, 59, when Stephen was stoned, he expected to be received by Christ right away, and that's reflected in his prayer. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So too, when we die, we can be absolutely sure. There doesn't have to be a shred of doubt At the moment our heart stops beating and we take our last breath, 
we will be immediately with God in heaven. And we will be free from sin and free from its effects. What a wonderful, comforting thought, isn't it? Also wonderful and comforting is the truth that something even better is coming. Yes, we will immediately be taken up to Christ, to God's presence, after we die. That's not the end. That's not the final state of believers. You see, the story is incomplete at that point. The drama of our redemption continues when Christ returns and the dead are raised and we receive our bodies back. And condemnation takes place for unbelievers and vindication for those who are righteous in Christ. When that last day comes, the Bible teaches us to expect something awesome. There will be a new creation which will be a renewal of the present creation. The present creation won't look the same because it will be purged. It will be cleansed with fire. And not only that, but Revelation 21 leads us to expect a dramatic coming together, a a conjunction of heaven and earth. And this is the place where we will dwell forever in God's blessed presence. In his Reformed dogmatics, when he deals with the doctrine of the end things, we call eschatology, Reformed theologian Herman Bovink put it in a beautiful way when he says that at that moment, you know, the moment of what we read in Revelation 21, he says at that moment, time will be charged with the eternity of God. Space will be full of His presence. Eternal becoming will be wedded to immutable being. And even the contrast between heaven and earth will be gone. That's amazing. That's mind-blowing. That's incomprehensible. And we will have joy for eternity. Catechism says that right now we feel in our hearts the beginning of eternal joy. As believers, we face struggles today, in this life, in this age. There are struggles with sin, struggles with temptation, struggles with disease, Struggles in our families, sometimes in our marriages. Struggle with disease, uh, circumstances beyond our control. But in the face of all that, like Paul in prison in his letter to the Philippians, we can feel in our hearts the beginning of eternal joy. We can. Because we know Christ. And we know that we're right with God through Him. And we know that all of God's promises are for us because of Him. This joy flows out of faith. Faith in Christ. And because we have Christ, and because Christ has us, we can know for sure that perfect blessedness awaits us hereafter. This joy which we will enjoy hereafter is a joy that will only increase for eternity. 
as we live in God's blessed presence, we will take more and more joy in God. And God's worth will be more and more magnified by us. You know, if there's one thing that's clear about your eternal dwelling place from the Revelation to John, if there's one thing that it, it's, that's clear, it's that heaven, or the new heavens and new earth, it's a very busy place. But what are we going to be busy with? Giving praise, giving glory to God for eternity. Piling up the praises for Him. Piling up the joy that we experience from knowing Him as our gracious Father. Knowing Him completely. And so, loved ones, don't think of your eternal home as a place where everything stands still, where everything is static. If you do that, you'll be missing out on the expectation of the joy that's going to be ours. An abounding joy. We have much to anticipate, much to look forward to in the life everlasting. Ever abounding, ever increasing joy. And all because Jesus Christ is our life. And I know that there are a lot of questions about all these sorts of things, and I'm sure some of these questions are going around in in your mind right now. Last week in our grade 10-11 catechism class, we discussed this very Lord's Day, and sure enough, there were lots of questions. It always happens every time I teach Lord's Day 22 in catechism class. There are lots of questions. Questions like, are we going to remember what happened here on earth in this life? Are we going to recognize one another? What if I had a baby and he passed away? What age will he be in heaven? And will I recognize him? What age will my elderly mother or father be in heaven? We have so many questions. And quite honestly, and I tell this to my catechism students too, the Bible doesn't give us all the answers to all these questions. It does tell us Everything we need to know to live and die in the joy and the comfort of belonging to Christ. It does direct us to the Gospel. It does tell us to keep looking to Christ, to fix our eyes on Him, to rest and trust in Him and in His Word and in His promises to us. When He promises us that heaven will be a place of perfect blessedness, Rest on that. Depend on that. Your Father tells you, your Savior tells you that it will be a wonderful place. And He doesn't give us all the details, but He does promise that it will be wonderful. And so, loved ones, let's continue looking to Christ, trusting Him, trusting His Word, and look forward to this perfect blessedness in which God will be all in all. And in which we, We'll be praising Him forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly God and Father, we thank You for the comfort that the doctrines of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting give to us. We thank You for Jesus Christ who is our resurrection and our life. Help us to continue fixing our eyes on Him in faith. 
We pray that He would return quickly with the clouds of heaven, with His holy angels to usher in the age to come. Father, we also pray that if we die before He returns, that we would be strengthened with Your Holy Spirit to face death without fear and with the comfort of knowing that we belong to You and that we will go to You. Father, we pray that through faith in Christ we would constantly feel in our hearts the beginnings of eternal joy. And we pray that after this life we would have that perfect, indescribable blessedness promised in Your Word. Please give us more grace with Your Word and Spirit so that we grow in our trust in You and in Your promises. We pray it all in Christ, who is our resurrection and our life. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.